Welcome to Running Up the Score. I'm Alex Kennedy. This is my show where we talk all things sports. Today, we have to talk about the NFL. There's a ton of crazy things happening in the last 24 hours. Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll in college football, Nick Saban, all moving on, uh, you know, mutually parting ways in Belichick and Carroll's case, Saban retiring. We also have NFL playoff games this weekend. So who better to help me break it all down than Trevor Sikama of Pro Football Focus. Trevor, how are you? I'm doing great, Alex. I appreciate you having me on the show, and I appreciate you having me on today because there's no shortage of things to talk about. So I'm sure this show and the topics and everything that we'll discuss, uh, it's going to be easy because there's a lot of things to say about what happened over the last 24 hours. Yeah, we'd already scheduled this to talk about the playoffs and, you know, Bucks, Eagles, and then just it feels like every hour there was another crazy, you know, news breaking so right. definitely makes it very easy today let's start with that bill belichick moving on from new england patriots had been there 24 years led them to six super bowls you know obviously a dynasty in recent years they had really struggled um you know he was the coach slash gm and you know there was obviously some issues on the management side i'm a big believer in that it's very hard if not impossible for coaches to do a great job if they're also gm i've said it in the nba too i think both of those roles require full-time effort and energy. And so if you're trying to balance those two things, one of them is going to end up, you know, struggling. It's either going to be your coaching duties or your GM duties. Um, I, I'm curious to see if he kind of goes for a similar arrangement with his next team or if he, you know, focuses just on coaching. But what do you make of this this decision uh, by, I'm not sure if it was mutual, they're spinning it as mutual, but, you mm-hmm. know, we never really know these situations. What do you make of the situation? And, and is there a certain team you think we should keep an eye on for Belichick? Well, Belichick still wants to coach, right? So I, I I can't imagine that it was that mutual that he would want to move on. Um, maybe it's just a situation where there's a change of scenery needed. But man, 24 years, I don't know how much longer Belichick's going to be coaching. Like how much longer does he think he's going to be coaching? Maybe if, if he thinks the end is nowhere near, then maybe that makes a little bit more sense for them to to move and, and to move on amicably. But uh, outside of that, like if, if he thinks he only has a couple years left, I'm pretty sure he wanted to stay in New England. So uh, who knows about that? You're right. A lot of the behind the scenes stuff. Sometimes we learn it after the fact. Sometimes we just never really get to, to hear what happened. But Belichick's an interesting story because, of course, I think everyone views him as the greatest NFL coach of all time. And for him not wanting to step away, wanting to continue coach, um, it's kind of like what we saw with Tom Brady a couple of years ago, this new change of scenery that could create a new chip on your shoulder, a new accomplishment to go after because the Patriots basically accomplished everything, right? They, they had a dynasty in two different decades. I mean, they were just a, such a dominant team. And when Brady went to Tampa, it was this renewed feeling of there's something new to accomplish, you know, that, okay, now go win it in a new spot, go win it with a new team. And I think that you saw and inspired Tom Brady for certainly the year that they won the Super Bowl and the years that followed. That could be the case with Bill Belichick, but I do think that it's going to be very interesting. Is Belichick going to sit there and say, no, 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 my reputation garners that I will have full organizational control, just like I did in New England, because I'm not going to lie. I don't think there's any team outside of maybe Carolina that would allow him to do that. We, we've heard that there's mutual, there's, I don't want to say mutual interest. There's interest from the Atlanta Falcons on him potentially being their head coach, but I can't see, you know, they already have Terry Fondo as their general manager. So even though Belichick's coming in, I got to assume that Arthur Blank, the owner is going to, would set things up to where it's like, no, Terry's the general manager. You're the head coach. And that's probably the only, the only way that you'd be the head coach here in Atlanta for Carolina. They're searching for everything so much at a ground zero level that, 
And David Tepper is certainly so desperate to find somebody that knows what they're doing to get them in the building. Maybe he does give him that full organizational control. I don't think that that would be the case with Los Angeles, who is also obviously vacant of a general manager spot. And so really outside of Carolina, I, I, I don't know anybody else who would even be willing to give him that sort of situation. And so it might be a different Belichick. Like we might have to see a different kind of Belichick because if it's not going to be in Carolina, which there's understandable reasons why it wouldn't be in Carolina, given how far it feels like that team is away. It's just going to be a new look from what we've seen from Belichick over the last you know 24 years. I feel like the Belichick news, there have been a lot of rumors swirling, you know, for about like a month or two now. So it wasn't too surprising to see that today. The real surprise was Pete Carroll. I, I didn't see that coming. And yeah. there's a lot of people on Twitter, I think, reacting as well that were shocked. And I think as of last week, he had said like multiple times that he'd be back next year. So again, that's another one that was spun as mutually parting ways, but it seemed like he was even blindsided by it based on, you know, what he was saying a week ago. Um He's going to stay with the organization as an advisor. You know, who knows if that's a Bruce Arians type thing where it eventually turns into like retirement or if he decides to coach again. He is 72 years old, so he may be done. Um, what did you make of that situation? And uh, I guess what the Seahawks team is very interesting to me because they went to 10 postseasons in 14 years with Carroll. Um, they won a Super Bowl. This team was solid this season. Uh, mm. Do you think how attractive is that job, I guess, in Seattle? I mean, it should be a, a attractive job given, you know, how invested the ownership is. The fans are, you know, John Schneider's, I think, a great GM. So I was very shocked that this job came open, you know, and, and even a report yesterday as Pete Carroll was kind of giving his exit interview as a head coach, there was a quote where he said he competed pretty hard to still be the head coach of this football team. And so even though it was a like you said, they, they said that they, it was a mutual parting of ways or he was just transitioning into a different role within the organization. He clearly wanted to be the head coach still, even up until the, um, the press conference that we saw yesterday from him. So I think I think he, I think there's a chance that he coaches again. And you know what? I wonder if it's not going to be in the NFL. I wonder if this year he's going to stay with Seattle and then next year he actually maybe goes back to college. Because when I think about Pete Carroll, you think about the personality that he is and how everyone just loves how inviting he is, how he always puts people in in, in great places to be their best, get the most out of their strengths. You know, he talked about uh, yesterday, he, he was talking all about, you know, something that I'm so proud of is, is that, you know, I felt like we always worked with players to get their best, you know, and that's, that's what it's all about. That's what building an organization and a great winning team is all about. And I think at the college level, you get that more than anything because you are still shaping young lives and, and you are an influence on these young lives and, and you're, you're giving them great discipline. You're giving them great, um, role models, just to, uh, you're setting themselves up well for football, for life, all this stuff. So I, I would actually love to see Pete Carroll coach in college again. Now, I don't know if it's going to be like a power five program or anything like that, but maybe he spends one year in Seattle and he's like, you know what? I wasn't coaching for a year. I still want to coach. And he goes to, I don't know, some FCS school, or maybe it's, you know, a, a, a FBS school, but it's like a group of five school or whatever it is, you know, not as much pressure, not all this like extreme pressure, but like he still gets to do what he wants to do, which is, you know, shape people's lives, impact people's lives, that kind of thing. Cause when he talked, when, when he talked over the last week, it didn't seem like he was done with that. So I wonder if he really does get back into coaching a year from now. 
Yeah, I think people see 72 years old and they assume, okay, he's done. But to your point, I mean, a week ago saying that he'll be back next season, even during the press conference, you know, hinting that he still wants to coach. It's very possible. Uh, We'll see if that's this year or a year from now or whenever. But uh, I I think there would be plenty of teams interested if he's willing to continue coaching. Um, When you look at the eight coaching vacancies, the different jobs that are out there, which one is the most attractive in your opinion? I actually think that Washington's is the most attractive. Like I love what I'm hearing from the new ownership, Josh Harris, who is spearheading that ownership group. Um, All of the GM experience from not just the NFL, but you guys see like the NBA, the Warriors old GM. um, He is now a part of their, their staff. And so they just seem to have such a great brain trust there. And, I'm slightly worried that there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen right now with it when it comes to like that high level decision making, but it seems like they're going about it the right way. And when you look at Washington, a lot of their roster is pretty flexible. They can move on from a lot of different guys. They've got five top 100 picks. One of them's number two overall in the draft. So you're probably going to get one of the franchise quarterbacks, either Caleb Williams or Drake may to start things off. So to me, New ownership, kind of invigorating that fan base, that organization, being willing to spend that money, do what you need to do to to succeed. It's Harris is somebody who uh, owns multiple sports teams already. He, you know, he's part owner of the 76ers. He's a part owner of the New Jersey Devils. So it's like he's kind of been around the block, even though he's his first time as an NFL owner. He understands what it's like to own, own a team and what it takes to be successful there. So. To me, that's why that job is the most attractive. I think you got a lot of roster flexibility. You got to love what you're hearing from the owners. Um, you got to ha- love how excited they are, and the fact that one of those draft picks that you have is number two overall, and you're about to get a franchise caliber quarterback on a rookie deal. So, in all honesty, Washington's the top job for me. Yeah, I think uh, quality ownership doesn't get talked about enough, or it's not. I think enough fans don't realize just how important that is. Uh, you know, just because. I think most fans, you know, probably can't name every owner in the in the NFL or the NBA. But, you know, there I've talked to executives who have said the hardest part of my job isn't going out and trying to convince free agents to sign with me or make the right draft pick. It's trying to sell my owner on all the things I want to do. So when you have a quality owner that's willing to just, you know, be hands off, kind of trust you and pump money and resources into what you want to do and make your staff bigger and spare no expense when it comes to everything in the organization, it just makes life so much easier. So I think that's a huge factor. That's a tough thing that people don't realize is, is you have some of the, like uh, beyond there's so much that goes into a successful sports franchise, but at the end of the day, there is, well, I guess not one person, but sometimes it's one person. Something it, It's like one person who literally owns the team. All of the checks that need to get signed, all of the player salaries that need to get paid, the things that happen, the utility bills, the field work, building new stages, like also it's the owner. Like it's, it's literally their money. And so they have every right to come in and tell you what to do, tell you how to run the team, tell you what players they want to go after, all this stuff. And there are some crazy stories that have both been told and not been told of owners just walking in and almost, you know, taking hostage of a situation where it's like, man, if you would have just let the general manager that you hired do their job, you'd probably be in a better spot. But like, you know, even shoot, staying in Washington. We heard about stories like that. You know, Dan Snyder would walk in day one of the draft and yeah, Jay Gruden at the time, who was the head coach, you know, like they do all this draft prep work. They'd watch all this film. They'd come up with this big board. And you know, there's stories of Snyder just walk in and be like, 
nope, we're picking that guy. And they're like, what do you <laughs> yeah. mean we're picking this guy? We don't want this guy. And he's like, not nah, too bad. I signed the checks. I get to make the decision. And it's like, man, th- to your point, ownership is such a big deal because that's a factor that's going on in Carolina right now, right? Yeah. You've got David Tepper, who is one of the richest owners in the NFL, which is truly saying something. Amongst billionaires, he is one of the top billionaires in the NFL. And he wants to be a part of this process. Now, I think that in his perfect world, he wanted to do the rap, the Matt Rule strategy. Like Rule came in and he sold him a dream. He was like, I'm going to control the team. I'm going to control the roster. I'm going to control free agency. I'm going to control the draft. I'm going to control everything. And I bet David Tepper was like, hell yeah, do it. Here's all the power. Here's all the money. Go do it. And it failed. And it failed miserably. And so now I think he's overcompensating. Now I think yep. he's like, okay – now I'm going to get involved. And so now there's been rumors of, okay, did he come in and did he take Bryce Young over CJ Stroud? Is, you know, is he the one coming in? Is like, oh, you need to fix Bryce's footwork. Oh, you need Calling to run more play action. Too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like crazy. crazy, crazy stuff like that. And who wants to work for an owner that's not going to give you the freedom to do your job the way you need to do it? And more importantly, is going to look over your shoulder at all times. That may the, fire you. I mean, right. with before one year even passes. And, and that's the thing is like, if it, because here's the thing, if you listen to him and it doesn't work, guess who gets fired? You <laughs> yeah. do. He ain't yeah. firing. He's not firing himself. So that's, right. that's why it's it, it just to your point, ownership, people don't think about how important it is. And um, at the end of the day, it is the top of the pyramid when it comes to the, the, the power chain, the power structure, and it can mean all the difference in the world. Yeah, I think the fact that in the NFL and NBA, they're all billionaires. So, you know, they're like, hey, I've had tons of success. I've thrived in the business world, you know, typically thinks they're the smartest person in the room. So it's like, why wouldn't you listen to me when I can help you? You know, I'm trying to save my organization here. (laughs) Even if they know nothing about the sport or have done no homework, (laughs) they think they can help. If I earned a billion dollars, you couldn't tell me a damn thing either. So that's like, I yeah. can't blame them too much for it. So I'm sitting here, you know, as like an armchair uh, executive of right. my Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I haven't, you know, earned anywhere near a billion dollars. So uh, I'd, I'd assume if you have a billion dollars, I'd only be even more arrogant and big headed and think I had all the answers. So it does make sense. Um, let's get to my books, uh, our books, really. Uh, Bucks, Eagles, this Monday. Um, these teams are in very different situations. The Bucks have won five of six, even though the last two weeks of the season were really ugly. The Eagles have lost five of six. They look awful. You know, they can't really stop anyone on defense. They changed defensive play callers to Matt Patricia and somehow got worse. Uh, it's It's been rough, but they did win 11 games this season. Um, it's crazy to think that they went from winning 10 of 11 games to what we've seen in the second half of the year and just how much they've imploded. It seems like the players don't really trust uh, the coordinators or the coaching staff. Um, they have a lot of talent, but not only are they struggling, you know, in terms of scheme and just everything, they're also really banged up. You know, Jalen Hurts has the finger injury. A.J. Brown has a knee injury. Uh, Devonta Smith has an ankle injury. I think DeAndre Swift is also in the injury report with like an illness. They lost a safety. I mean, it's it's really rough right now. What do you expect from this game? Do you think that this is going to be a close game? And I guess who are you leaning toward right now if you had to make a prediction? Yeah, on top of all that, it's supposed to be rainy weather down in Tampa on Monday night. So you could throw that in there as well. You know, it's wild because I was actually having a conversation with with my dad this morning. And my dad, he's a big Tampa sports fan. That's how I became a Tampa sports fan growing up. And um, he said, he's like, there's no way 
the Bucks should beat the Eagles, right? And I was like, mm, well, you know, on paper, yeah, sure. It should be the Philadelphia Eagles, but they're not playing anywhere near their potential. And in fact, like you said, if you go with the what have you done for me lately, sure, it hasn't looked pretty for Tampa. They're winning football games. And I think that this game's going to be a lot closer than people um, who might be outside of this matchup, outside uh, uh, viewpoints. It's going to be a lot closer than they think. There's a legit shot that Tampa could win this game. Now, I think with it being rainy weather, like if it gets real ugly, that to me actually hurts Tampa's chances because That's what I was gonna say. Philly can run the ball a lot better than Tampa can run the ball, especially when it's as predictable as a rainy weather game. So in that case, if the weather does turn pretty bad, I'd give this one to Philly because they're still they're still stronger up front with that offensive line. They'll be able to do better against um, Tampa's Tampa's defensive line there, but if the weather stays relatively calm, you know, I, I just feel as though this Bucks team has been able to bounce back. I, and I, I did not think that that was the case going into the season. You know, the Bucks haven't been too different than I thought they would be going into the year. It's just led to about two or three more wins than I thought it was going to be like, they're playing pretty much the same, but you know, you look at, you look at a week like last week. Okay. If, if the bucks play any of the other 30 teams in the league in week 18, they lose like that. That's a loss. They just happen to be playing against Carolina, which is very clearly the worst team in the NFL. It was gross. Right. And so it's like, okay, you could you could list off their record and say what they are, but it's like, all right, well, in reality, they probably could have caught an extra loss here and there. But and they only beat one playoff team, Green Bay. I mean, most of their wins have been against bad teams. So that's right. why it's hard to really evaluate them. Like when they actually have played good teams, Philly when they were playing well, uh, San Fran, Detroit, they lost by double digits. Yeah. And and so that's the thing. It's like they're not that tier one of it of an NFC team, but going back to where Philadelphia currently is right now. Neither are the Eagles. The right. Eagles are a very beatable football team. And so um, I don't, I, obviously, like, weather's going to play into it. But this game, to me, is a total toss-up. I don't know what the line is at this point. I actually have not looked it up. But if, I think if, Eagles are favored uh, by three. Okay, so that's low enough. I was wondering if the Eagles were going to be favored by, like, five, six, something like that, just because of how t- bad Tampa played last week. But Three is pretty much, yeah, pretty much the line there. But even with even with Tampa getting a field goal, I'd probably bet Tampa there. Yeah, I think you're right about the weather, too. I mean, I saw an interesting stat. Philly has the second-worst pass defense in the NFL this season, which is kind right. of crazy. You think about their defense and just how bad. great they were entering the year. Like, all the hype was about this defense, and they've been so bad. Uh, they're allowing the third-most points per game, and then only the commanders uh, give up more pass yards per game. And so... A, I think Baker Mayfield's health is a, a huge key. That's one of the reasons why that, that Panthers game was so ugly. I think he just, you know, the ribs, then he injures his ankle. It, it's just he was really banged up, and you could tell he wasn't himself. If he is healthy and the weather is decent, I think this passing game with, you know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rashad White could be really dangerous, and maybe that's how they pull off the upset. If it's a, a run-first <laughs> type game, I think the Bucks are screwed. Uh, you know, yeah. they average the fewest run yards in the league. Uh, the Eagles obviously can run the ball really well, so... It's going to be interesting. I think um, whichever team wins, it's probably going to get absolutely destroyed by San Francisco. <laughs> so, oh, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> the Niners are just so good. Um, yeah. 
So I'm not, you know, I'm not a biased homer here saying like, oh, we're going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> I think this is like the best matchup for the Bucks possible. And then it's going to be a very short postseason if they do advance. Um, but I want to ask you about Todd Bowles, because right now there's a ton of conversation amongst Bucks fans. I had Luke Easterling on the podcast a few days ago, and we talked about the Bowles situation. And I see both sides of it. I think that there is a case for keeping him. You know, he's won the, the division two years in a row. Uh, he's a good defensive coach. I think he's better as a defensive coordinator, uh, mm. it, but he does have a lot of flaws too. Like, you know, there's clock management issues. There's uh, times where you see there's like, you know, nine or 10 players in the field. And, and that's happened multiple times this season. They've given up touchdowns, which is so frustrating as a fan to see. Um, again, I think there are positives. The players seem to love him. They never quit on him. They, uh, you know, even when the team was struggling and, and losing five or six games or four or five games, whatever that stretch was, they, you know, the effort was there. They they love him. But then you have games like the final two weeks of the season where the season's on the line and they just come out flat and, and don't seem prepared. Um, I also mentioned it to Luke, but I, I am frustrated with his lack of accountability sometimes. It seems like after games, it's always like we practiced the right things, but the players didn't execute uh, or throwing other people under the bus. Um with that said, with other situations, like the whole Devin White situation, he's very loyal and even will lie, it seems, to, to you know protect his players. So I don't know. I see both sides of it. I think the, the general, the way I would sum it up, the Bucks fans that don't like Bulls, I think they just feel like we're not winning a Super Bowl with this guy. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to be seven to nine wins every year. So if, that's, if we're going to be a middle of the pack team, we might as well move on. And especially in an offseason like this one where there's so many good coaches that are available, um, big name coaches, up and coming assistants, there's like eight or nine guys that seem like they could potentially be upgrades over Todd Bowles and I think if Bowles got fired you know let's say they lose this game to the Eagles and he got fired I'm not sure he gets another head coaching job uh which is pretty telling so what are your thoughts on Bowles the job he has done and is he on the hot seat even after making the playoffs yeah no I I think he absolutely is and I think there's a world where if Philly really looks good against Tampa or I should just say this if Tampa just doesn't look good at all, then that's that's going to be um, within the conversation of, of moving on from him. Because I think you're right. Like, you don't want to live in mediocrity. Like, I think people can point to it. And, you know, it's two years under Todd Bowles. It's back-to-back divisions. Like, people can people can point to those things. But it's not it's not really, like, tangible stuff. You know, it's not like, oh, like, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're totally going in the right direction. Like, we know we got the right guy. You're still having questions about it now. So, uh, I, I I would move on from Todd Bowles. I just don't think that the team, like you said, there's too many mental mistakes. I think the defense has been way too up and down this season. Um, things have gone well on offense at times, but it's like, man, the run game has struggled, and yet we're staying with the same like run, 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 pass script a lot. And it's just, I don't know. I feel like Bowles kind of has his hand in that. And Canales being a first-time play caller, you know, it's it's not like he has all of this experience to like push back on it, right? He's a first time offensive coordinator, first time play caller. So even if he thought differently, like how much room does he have to push back on bulls? If bulls is sitting here saying, no, 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 we got to establish the run. We got to run things more like on second and 10, we got to run the ball. Like, I I don't know. So (laughs) I don't know exactly who's making the decisions there, but ultimately timeout management, play management. Like it just, I, I I simply put, I just don't think the team has been good enough. I just yeah. don't think the team has been good enough. I think, again, the defense has been way too up and down. There have been moments this year people will be able to point to like certain things that have gone well because it hasn't been catastrophic. Obviously, they're 9-8. and eight, But I think the Bucks' record is sort of a lie. Like I think, It's like a I think, default 
division title. It's a it's a right, shitty division. Right. They're Again. playing bad teams, you know, for six of their games. Correct. You know? And and that's the thing is like if if you take both of those Carolina Panthers games out and you replace them with most other teams in the NFL, like if they happen to play the Patriots twice, they probably split them. If you happen yeah. to play the Cardinals twice, you probably split them. You know, and it's just like these are teams that are that have that have top ten draft their top five draft picks, and so yeah, I just I I don't think they're getting enough out of the head coaching spot. I don't think the arrow is pointing up enough for you to say, oh. Yeah, but look at the record and just kind of sit on that as a shield and an excuse for the team not being as good as it should be or could be. That's what frustrated me last year because entering the season, there was all this hype about, you know, they're like a, the odds makers had them as like a top two Super Bowl favorite. And then they win eight games and look awful. It's like, well, we won the division. It's like, yeah, but compared to expectations, this team, you know, completely underperformed. Oh, yes. And- and to your point about uh, Canales and, and who's really calling the shots when it comes to like run, run, pass and the predictability of the offense, I think it has to be Bulls, at least to an extent, because we saw the same thing last year with Byron Leftwich, and he never called games like that under Bruce Arians. So it makes me think there's there was a shift when Bulls took over, and it's affected now Leftwich and Canales, and he he's a conservative coach. I mean, we see it in a lot of different, you know, the way he does things. So I think he's definitely partially at least partially to blame for the predictability and, and the run run pass stuff so yeah i would not be surprised if the bucks move on again i think the fact that you have so many notable names out there now in the coaching free agent pool i think it probably increases the likelihood that they move on too just because the glazers have always kind of big uh, been uh fans of going after like big name coaches you know we saw it with the Bruserians, they went after bill parcells years ago uh, i think they like kind of making that splash they know if they go get a notable name or a big up-and-comer it's going to help with season ticket sales and you know kind of make a splash so and they just experienced being like the it team in sports with you know the tom brady era so if you can go out there and get i don't know obviously bill belichick's the big name everyone's talking about right now but if you could get a pete carroll or a mike vrabel or even like an up-and-comer like a todd munkin ben johnson i i think i would love if they brought munkin back that would be incredible i've been i would love i've been tweeting about that recently i think he'd be perfect i would go after like an offensive-minded coach he's my top Um, candidate he, yeah, he would I, be he would be my top candidate for Tampa. He really it would. makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see you know what happens this Monday and kind of how that will impact the decision. But uh, one last Bucks question, and then we'll move on to some draft stuff. Um, they have some big decisions to make this offseason with Baker mm-hmm. Mayfield, Mike Evans, Antoine Winfield. Uh, Levante David I think the order in which I would bring those guys back or like in terms of prioritize them would probably be Winfield. Evans, Mayfield, and then Levante, probably on like a one-year type deal again, like he signed before. But I guess, what are you expecting this offseason from the Bucks in, in terms of can they keep their own free agents? Uh, do you think Baker's going to get some crazy payday? I guess when I look at like the market, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of teams out there that could be maybe interested in a veteran quarterback like Baker. They're either you know sticking with who they have or they're going with the draft pick. So when you look at like those free agents that are coming up, I guess, how would you prioritize them? Uh, I, I think Antoine Winfield Jr. is priority number one. I really believe that like over the quarterback, I, I prioritize getting a long-term deal with Antoine Winfield Jr. done. I, I made this argument on the PFF show earlier this week. I don't just think that Antoine Winfield Jr. is a pro bowler or an all pro player. Like he should be in conversation for defensive player of the year. He's Thank that you. Good. Yeah. I mean, he, he is, he's that good. So I think that you resign him first and foremost Baker's going to be next. I think Jason Light, their general manager, I think he loves Baker Mayfield. I think he loves the personality. I think he loves the potential. He played well enough. I think Baker's going to get 
I don't know if it's going to be like the exact Geno Smith deal or something like that, but it'll be a three-year deal that will be a decent chunk of change that you will now have to pay the quarterback. Mike Evans is probably next. Um, I don't think you can, I don't think you can move on from Mike. And I think Mike wants to be a Buccaneer. I think Mike wants to finish out his career with the Bucs. So I think he'll be a little flexible, obviously getting a little bit up there in age, but he's still, he's still awesome. So they'll still have to pay him a good amount of money. You let Devin White walk. I think you let somebody else play, pay Devin White. And then the sad thing is, is that with Mayfield playing well, I, I almost just hope Levante David retires at this point because I don't think the Bucks will be able to come close to what he can get on the free agent market. Some of the right. Levante David's still playing good football. If he yeah. wanted to continue playing, he could. But because the Bucks have to pay Antoine Noonfield Jr., pay um, Baker Mayfield, you're probably not letting Mike Evans get out of the building. David's kind of like one of those dudes that it really sucks, but I don't even, I just don't know if they're going to have the money to do it. Now, Mike Greenberg's one of the best cap guys in the NFL. So Mm -hmm. these are players that have spent their whole careers with the bucks. They might be able to work something out and be flexible here, but I I say this like, unfortunately, but it's a good thing that Baker Mayfield is playing well, but in the reality of him getting a quarterback level contract, that means you basically have to let Devin white walk. And then you, (laughs) I don't know. The best case scenario might be me hoping that Levante David just retires. So I hope he doesn't have to play for another football team because I would suck to see him in a different jersey. But that's the way that I would see it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, It'll be very interesting. I agree with you on Winfield, by the way. On the show earlier this week, I said the same thing. He should absolutely be a defensive player of the year candidate. It blows my mind that he's not getting more love. If you look at like the odds, he's not even like top five, top 10, something like that. It's crazy. Uh, But he has been so impactful and and so much fun to watch this season. Um, Let's move on to the NFL draft. You are the lead draft analyst for PFF. Do a fantastic job. Uh, When you look at this draft as a whole, I guess... How do you compare it to other classes in terms of the quality and what positions stand out to you as being really deep or, you know, uh, full of like potential stars? Yeah, it's a really fun draft. I think first and foremost, we talk about this every year, but I really do mean it this year. This wide receiver class is nuts. We have three guys at the very top of this wide receiver class, Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State, uh, Malik Neighbors from LSU and Romo Dunze from Washington. All three of them could be wide receiver one in most draft classes. And I really mean that. Like most draft classes, one of these three guys would be the wide receiver one. So for them to all be in this class, that's very stellar. You get through, you know, back end of the first round, second round, third round, you're going to be able to get an impact receiver on your team. So if you need any sort of wide receiver, this is a great class to be able to do that. I think the edge rush group, even though there's not like a, like a Miles Garrett type of player, a Nick Bosa type of player that's going to go within the top three. There's a lot of really nice edge rushers that could go anywhere from pick eight all the way through pick 32. I mean, we might see six edge rushers go in the first round, but none of them are going in the top eight just because the offensive unit is so stacked. And then flip sides to the offensive trenches, a lot of really good offensive tackles in this class. I think, again, we could probably see five or six offensive tackles go in the first round this year corners really nice as well and so the reason why this draft's a lot of fun shaping up to be a lot of fun is because it's great at the premium positions quarterback wide receiver edge rusher offensive line and corner like all of those all five of those positions have a lot of really great players that i think can be pros for a long time and those lower premium positions running back off ball linebacker interior offensive line safety 
it's not really very strong in those areas. You can still get some good players, but um, it, it, for draft intrigue, you always want them at the premium positions. And this year we have that. Do you think Chicago sticks with Justin Fields? Do they trade the pick? Uh, do they draft a Caleb Williams or a Drake May? What are your thoughts on what they should do? I think they'd be insane to stick with Justin Fields. And I mean that with all due respect to how well Fields is playing. Fields is playing the best ball of his career right now. And, and he is putting his best foot forward. And I, I truly believe that he can be a starter still at the NFL level. The problem is, is that you're about to go into year four of his contract, his rookie contract. If you sign him to his fifth year option, then you have two more years of him on a rookie deal. And then you have to pay him a lot of money if he pans out for you. And when I say when it, when he pans out for you, because if you, if you, if you stick with Justin Fields over drafting a quarterback at number one overall, and it doesn't work out, you're all getting fired anyways. It doesn't right. matter. Like you're like, you're totally rebuilding. It doesn't matter at that point. But if even if, even if it works for you, Hitting on quarterback is obviously important. So if if you had like a hundred percent guarantee, yes, you would do this no matter what because it's it's the right thing to do because you're about actually be hitting on the player. But you only have two more years to him on a rookie deal, and then you have to yeah. pay him a massive deal that hamstrings you from building out the rest of the roster. Can you build out the rest of the roster the way that you need to? Are you going to be a competitive level team within those next two years? I don't know. And the problem with Justin Fields right now is that even though he is playing better. There is no guarantee that what we are going to see at the beginning of 2024 season is just a continuation of what we saw at the end of this year. He could still regress like or he could plateau. So if you are if you are going to risk it, if you will, either way, risk it with whoever's going number one, risk it with Caleb Williams or Drake May risk it with those guys. And if it hits, you've got four years of a franchise caliber quarterback on a rookie deal instead of. One and then a fifth year option, which the fifth year option is a lot more than the regular four years anyway. So it's like a giant chunk of change there. So that's ultimately why all due respect to how Justin Fields is playing. I'd, I'd trade Justin Fields and I'd draft a quarterback at one. I think that's a terrific description or explanation of why it makes sense. You have to really, really believe in Fields uh, and, and think the gap between him and Caleb Williams or Drake May is so huge that it justifies, you know, everything it's going to do in terms of hamstringing them financially. So, yeah, I, I think that is really well said. Last question for you. When you look at the other playoff matchups this weekend, which one is most exciting for you? Is there another one that kind of jumps out that, you know, either you could see an upset happening, you're excited to watch it against high scoring. I think the one for me is is Chiefs-Dolphins. I think that could be really high scoring. You know, Kansas City hasn't been quite themselves, but it's Patrick Mahomes, this offense, and Miami is awesome. Mm-hmm. That's one that jumps out at me. So the thing about that game is the weather is like in the negatives. Oh no. Like it's supposed to be like, they're supposed to get some weather rolling through. And that's why that game Miami versus Buffalo was so huge because if Miami would have won that game in week 18, they'd have been hosting this week. And instead they lose the division and they have to go from Miami to Kansas city in like negative 10 degree wind chill weather. Like it's going to be miserable for them. So I'm obviously excited to watch that one, but I don't know if it's going to be as high scoring as we think it's going to be. Right. That makes sense. The one that I'm really looking forward to though is, is, is Rams lions because the storyline of this one is so awesome, right? Matthew Stafford gets drafted number one overall to the Detroit lions puts his blood, sweat, tears, everything he has into getting Detroit back there. They made the playoffs, I think, twice, but they lost in the first round each time. He could not bring them. 
that playoff win. And it eventually came to a, a head where both sides moved on. Matthew Stafford went and won his Super Bowl with the Rams and Jared Goff and that trade has kind of accelerated that Dan Campbell era into look where they are now. They are one of the best teams in the NFC. They're hosting a playoff game. They have a legit shot to make the Super Bowl. And the fact that that quarterback, Matthew Stafford, who was there before them, who gave his everything, is coming back to town for a Lions hosted playoff game. Uh, and is now in their way of getting to where they want to go, which is, of course, the NFC Championship game in the Super Bowl. That's just – it's a lot of emotions, and it's a really uh, interesting storyline to follow. Yeah, both quarterbacks facing their former team uh, in the playoffs. That's a ton of fun. I agree. That's that's a really good narrative-driven uh, one. That would be really fun to watch. Uh, this has been so much fun. I appreciate you jumping on here. I know things are crazy right now in the NFL. Um, again, you do a fantastic job for PFF. Everyone, if you're not following Trevor, make sure you are at Tampa Bay Trey. Uh, love his tweets. Love his articles. Uh, love his show. Just you know, check his stuff out. Uh, anything else you want to promote or anything, anywhere else they can find you know work of yours? Yeah, we talked a little about NFL draft stuff, but if anybody out there wants to go over to pff.com, we got you for everything that you want with the NFL draft. We got the big board. We got the mock draft simulator where you can make your own mock drafts and just anything that you want to know about the NFL draft coming up. We got you over at pff.com. Definitely check it out. And if you guys want to check out more episodes of Running Up the Score, you can find us on Twitter, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere listen to podcasts. And until next time, thanks for watching.